This is 15 Minute History, a podcast for educators, students, and history buffs featuring the minds and talents of the University of Texas at Austin. 15 Minute History is a partnership of Not Even Past and Hemispheres in the College of Liberal Arts at UT Austin. Welcome back. I'm your host, Christopher Rose, with the Center for Middle Eastern Studies, part of Hemispheres. On this episode of 15-Minute History, we're going to be talking about the Haitian Revolution. Today's guest is Natalie Arsenault, who is Director of Public Engagement at the Teresa Lozano Long Institute of Latin American Studies here at UT. Welcome back, Natalie. Thanks, Chris. So what is the significance of the Haitian Revolution? The Haitian Revolution, which, by the way, happens between 1791 and 1804, um, is important because Haiti is the only country where slave freedom was taken by force. It's the only successful slave revolt in modern times. In addition to this, Haiti is the first country in Latin America to get its independence, second only to the U.S. in the Americas as a whole. Um, I think then... It's important to discuss Haiti because of the significance within the narrative of the political revolutions of the 18th century. So where does this story begin? Uh, In 1492, when Christopher Columbus discovers the island of Hispaniola, Um, and the island was known at the time by the Taino Indians as Haiti, which was a name that meant mountainous place. Um, In the 1500s, the Spaniards begin to settle the eastern part of the island. They begin sugar production there in 1516. They introduce slavery at about the same time. And actually, the first slave revolt in the New World happened on the island of Hispaniola in and I think this foreshadows what's going to happen in a few centuries. Um, in the 1660s is when the French began to settle in the west part of the island, and they established a colony. And after a few decades of fighting in 1697, finally the Spanish ceded western Hispaniola to the French. They then called it the colony of Saint-Domingue. For simplicity's sake today, I'll just refer to it as Haiti. So once the French get control of, of Haiti, uh, what was life like in the colony? Well, in the early years, the population was primarily comprised of a few white planters, engagés, who are indentured servants. These were people who would work for seven years and then earn their freedom, and then a small enslaved community. And all of these groups were in near equal numbers working together. Uh, the economy was based on small multi-crop ventures. They grew some tobacco, indigo, cotton, a few subsistence crops, but they were small farms, very few slaves, and everybody working side by side. Then sugar is introduced. Um, A hundred plantations were established between 1700 and 1704. Sugar is a labor-intensive crop, which requires more slaves. It's also highly profitable, so more and more plantations come around, and more and more slaves have to be brought in. Soon, large-scale crop production would dominate the landscape, and the only people you would see on the farms would be the slaves. So what was life like for the slaves? Well, you went from a situation where it was small farms with everyone working together um, to each plantation becoming its own industry, essentially. Uh, There were far more Africans than Europeans, so they would have to separate out the slaves, uh, put slave houses on the lowest part of the property where there was no wind or ventilation and there was excessive heat and it was very crowded. Um, Slaves... uh, 
all of the slaves worked the land, men and women alike, only the less robust, the newly arrived Africans, women who were in their seventh or eighth month of pregnancy or nursing infants or children got the lighter jobs. Otherwise, everyone else was working the land from 5 a.m. to late in the night uh, with working hours even longer during um, harvest times. And the French were particularly cruel to the slaves. Uh, King Louis issued the Code Noir in 1685 to regulate slavery and punishment, but it was never really followed in the colony. It had little influence over life there. Um, They didn't ration food like they were supposed to. The Code Noir required two and a half pots of manioc and either two pounds of salt beef or three pounds of fish every week. And generally, most slaves got only a few potatoes and a little bit of water every day. In addition to that, the French were um, particularly cruel in the way that they punished the slaves. If somebody misbehaved or ran away and got caught, they would usually put them to death in a pretty extreme fashion. The average lifespan of the slaves in Haiti was seven years. Essentially, the the owners were okay with working them to death or, or punishing them through death and then buying more later. So given that, what was the economic and social landscape of Haiti in the, the years leading up to the revolution? So in the colony, you had various groups vying for power and influence. Essentially, uh, the, the most powerful group was the Grand Blancs, or the Big Whites. These were the plantation owners, or the elite. Then there were the Petit Blancs, or the the little whites. These were tradespeople, shopkeepers, merchants, overseers, the former indentured servants who'd gotten their freedom and now worked in in smaller aspects of the economy. Uh, There was a growing population of both affranchis, which were freed blacks or freed slaves, and then what they called gens de couleur, or people of color. Um, People of color are particularly interesting to look at in Haiti. These were the products of white planter fathers and slave mothers. What's interesting is they always had their freedom. They were, in general, recognized by their planter fathers, which you don't see in other parts of the New World, um, and sent by their fathers to be educated in France. And then they would come back to Haiti, um, would own plantations of their own, and would also own slaves. Uh, the, The free people of color looked like the Grand Blancs. They dressed like them. And for the most part, they lived like them, but there were still restrictions on the opportunities that they had, on the work that they could do, on the on, on even the way that they could dress. Um, the Jean de Couleur had a pretty good life, but they still wanted the rights and privileges of their planter parents. And then in addition to all of these groups, you had the slaves, who were by far the majority of the population. Blacks outnumbered whites 15 times over. In 1789, you had a population of 40,000 whites and 500,000 slaves. Nearly two-thirds of that half million slaves were African-born. They still practiced traditions and religions that were coming over from Africa, and that influenced the revolution as well. So this seems like it was an incredibly volatile situation to begin with. So what was the spark? that finally lit the fire. I think it was a slow-burning spark uh, between 1789 and 1791. In 1789, the French Revolution begins with the cry for liberty, equality, and fraternity. Um, And everyone in the colony was paying attention to what was going on in France. Also, on the French side, none of the colonies were making as much money as Haiti. So the French didn't want to lose it. So they were trying to retain control of that while there was a lot of um, turmoil in France. Um, There was a lot of tension between the big 
the big whites, the Grand Blancs and the Petit Blancs, they were vying for power and control in the colony. And then with the beginning of the French Revolution, you had the Grand Blancs who wanted local autonomy. Essentially, they wanted to get out of the exclusive trade agreement that they had with France. They wanted to be able to sell their sugar to the highest bidder. Uh, you had the free people of color who were seeing their chance for citizenship and equality uh, because they couldn't practice certain professions. They had to be separate in public spaces, and, and they also couldn't marry whites. They were hoping that they could have those freedoms. Um, and the Petit Blancs were eager to protect their position in the color-based class system. All of these groups were against the slaves. So this is going on starting in 1789. Also in 1789, there's a major drought in Haiti, and there's a food shortage. And in this kind of situation, the priority, um, the priority to feed the slaves is not very high, and therefore you now have a large enslaved population that's not well-fed and mistreated. In addition to that, in early 1791, um, some free people of color tried to use force to get their citizenship and equality rights. Um, a couple of free men of color went to France to try to demand these rights, and when they came back to Haiti, they were beaten to beaten to death um, in the town square. It was a sort of special punishment because the French in Haiti wanted to make a point of not wanting to give rights to these free people of color, so that further inflamed things. And then finally, following that, in August of 1791, um, uh, the slaves organized and had a voodoo ceremony where um, they called for their liberty. And from that ceremony, they set out and attacked plantations. And they began to burn down plantations and kill all of the white planters they came across. Um, and for months, they just set across the island burning down plantations. You mentioned that Haiti was France's wealthiest colony, so presumably the government back in Paris didn't react terribly well to this new development. No, they did not. Um, the The unrest in Haiti moved France to send various agents there to, to try to quell the uprising. Uh, and I think there's, there's a wonderful quote by a French colonist from 1792 that I think summarizes how the French felt about the situation. And he says, there can be no agriculture in Saint-Domingue without slavery. We did not go to fetch half a million savage slaves off the coast of Africa to bring them to the colony as French citizens. France was not going to let this happen. Uh, they temporarily abolished slavery in parts of Haiti, and that was to deal with their own problems because they were actually being attacked by both the British and the Spanish who wanted into the colony as well. So for a little while, they abolished slavery so they could get the former slaves to help them fight off the British and the Spanish. However, they had no intention of allowing the slaves to be free. So, as you mentioned at the beginning of the episode, the Haitian Revolution is considered the only successful slave revolt in the modern period. So we know that they were eventually able to gain the upper hand. So how were they able to fight back successfully against uh, one of the best trained militaries in the world at the time? Well, that's interesting, because when it started, it was basically guerrilla warfare. Uh, they weren't very organized, and they weren't very well equipped. Uh, but eventually, within the first couple of years, um, a man named Toussaint Louverture arises as a leader. Uh, Toussaint Louverture was a former slave. Uh, he had been a coachman um, for the manager of a plantation. And by the time the, the revolution erupts in 1791, he'd been a freed man for over a decade, meaning he was able to circulate around the island and kind of get the story of what was going on. So in 1793, he really arrives on the scene in terms of taking a leadership position. And he sends a letter to 
to slaves all over the island, introducing himself. Uh, and what's interesting is in the letter, he, he emphasizes that he's fighting for liberty and equality. So he's picking up those, those terms from the French Revolution and using them for Haiti. Uh, he was able, starting in 1793, to organize armies of former slaves and defeat both the Spanish and British forces that were also invading. By 1801, he'd actually conquered Santo Domingo, which was the Spanish part of the island, and he was making serious inroads um, into the French part as well. So Toussaint was doing very well in the French part of the island and making great strides. And finally, in 1801, Napoleon gets sick of this situation, and he wants to put it down once and for all. His theory is that if he captured Toussaint Louverture, everything's going to fall apart after that. Um, I found this uh, I find this to be a really interesting perspective, given the numbers of slaves that were be- rebelling at this point, that he thinks taking out one man is going to end the revolution after a decade. It did not. Um, he did send a general. The general tricked Toussaint Louverture, arrested him, shipped him off to France, where he eventually died in prison, but the revolution did not end. It struggled a little bit after that. Um, they continued to fight Napoleon's troops, but he ultimately failed. And in 1803, he says, um, and I love this quote, damn sugar, damn coffee, damn colonies. Uh, because in November of 1803, slaves managed to defeat the greatest European military power. Uh, by January 1st, 1804, they officially declare their independence. And in the proclamation of independence, they use the expression, live free or die, which they've taken from our own revolution in the United States. So I think in terms of looking at the revolution as a whole, uh, we should consider the case of Haiti and teach it because it's important within the broader context of the American and French revolutions. They were very important predecessors to the Haitian Revolution, and they were heavily influential on Haiti's freedom fighters. Well, Natalie Arsenault, thank you for being with us today. This has been another episode of 15-Minute History. Uh, More information about the topic of today's episode can be downloaded from our website, blogs.utexas.edu backslash 15-Minute History. That's the numerals 1-5-Minute History. We'll see you next time. If you have a suggestion for a topic you'd like to have us talk about on an upcoming episode of 15-Minute History, go to our website, blogs.utexas.edu backslash 15-minute history, that's 1-5-minute history, and click on the Contact Us link in the right sidebar. The opinions and views expressed in today's episode are not representative of the University of Texas at Austin or any of its constituent bodies and are solely those of the people who spoke them.